When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, coaches, before we get going today, I just wanted to thank you for all you've been doing to support this podcast, and we have an incredible lineup coming up here. We have just about every major college conference represented. We have a ton of FBS coaches, Division II coaches, Division III coaches, some great high school football coaches coming on the podcast to share with you and help you grow professionally during this time. I really appreciate all of you asking your questions on Twitter. Please follow me at Coach K Grabowski for our daily updates on our guests and your opportunity to ask questions. We will read them on the show and attribute those to you. Um, So please contribute to the show as much as you can. I'm excited to be joined on the podcast today by offensive line coach. He's a legend to a lot of people here who are in the offensive line world and who study the offensive line. Coach DeRazio, I appreciate you taking some time here to join us on the podcast. Well, Keith, it's it's our high honor, and it's a great privilege to to be with you this afternoon, and and I'm deeply appreciative and humbled that you know if you would ask us to to be a part of this podcast, and we're certainly glad to share. Absolutely, and I, I've got to give credit here to Angus Reed, who's been on the podcast with us before, and Angus reached out to me with this idea, and it it took me like two seconds to say absolutely yes, let's do it. So. What we did is we got together a list of questions, and I I did reach out to some offensive line coaches I know from the college level. We have a high school coach in here, too. All of them have been on this podcast before, so they were excited to be able to ask you these questions. So we'll start with Cody Kennedy and some of the questions he had. He's the offensive line coach at Tulane, and his first question was just asking, what are your three favorite run concepts? Well, uh, I'd say this. We've always had a great belief in the zone system blocking. We've always felt that zoning gives you an uphill push. The overriding point in zone blocking is just there's a lack of penetration, which means you're going to have a great chance of having good plays. So our approach has always been to run the zone systems, and we've featured wide zone system. We've featured tight zone system, the rollback tight zone type. And then finally, the third system would be that, that tie in with zone systems would be, you know, the wham, the wham type plays where you can utilize uh, zone concepts on the front side and still create a division in the defense where you can cut a defense in half 
Now these WAM systems, they have short shelf lives. You, you, you know, they, they don't stick there for a period of time. Uh, you've got to put them in and then take them out and put them back in. So those would be the three, Keith. So, so Coach, I have to ask you, with the zone over the course of your career, what techniques did you really evolve to behind that? Because I know things have certainly changed a lot from when I first learned it and started using it. For me, it was somewhere around 2004, maybe. And even in that time frame to some of the things that we picked up from you know, the cool clinic and, and those types of things, we, we had evolved as well. So for you, what was the evolution of the technique behind the zone blocking? Well, I, I, I think this. I, I think that um, it, both zones feature different landmarks, you know, tracks off the ball. So those have been pretty consistent throughout the course of the, the years. You know, we have always tried to highlight combinations, the combinations, the how we decide on combinations are the inside shade defenders. If the if the guards covered, the, then the common inside shade the inside combination would be the center and guard and the tackles a independent contractor unless he's called in with the tight end on the call side. And then your backsides, whether it's a center guard backside combination or backside guard backside tackle combination, would be depending again on the inside shade defender. And mm-hmm. and again, each each combination is unique to which zone system you're utilizing. Probably the biggest technique that that we have in the wide zone systems that we've we've utilized over the years is the, the play side tackle on the wide zone. That is a that's a very important technique because he is the one that really telegraphs for the back where to run, whether we're going to run out or we're going to run in. And we have utilized a couple of techniques. We've utilized a club technique where we club the end out to to uh, to tell the back where to run, and then. We've also used a catch hand reach on that technique where he has a, a, a middle of the outside number target and he, and he uses his backside hand, not so much a club, but but just a catch hand. And then marshal the defender either in or out to let tell the back where to go. So those would be the pretty thought, the thoughts I have regarding, you know, the question. So Coach Kennedy also was interested in drills. And his question was, what are three drills you can't, go through a week without doing well we, we've over the years we've had a, a great belief in cycling drills throughout the course of a season to accomplish you know the same things and the, the purpose of drills are number one to organize yourself before contact and then number two to organize organize yourself after contact and especially in today's world where you know there's a minimum you're minimizing contact in practice because of you know, the issues involved in the game. So, but I would say this, I, I would say the three things that we're going to do every week in and week out are number one, we're going to do the Crowther, part of the Crowther progression, which gives you great, tremendous focused energy on blow delivery, uh, balance and body control, and, and then finish on it. The second one would be emulating a, a drill in terms of getting the alignment to, to be grounded when they deliver blow deliveries. Being grounded, meaning the foot is underneath the hip, underneath the shoulder of the foot of the shoulder that they're going to block with. Utilizing a grounded drill technique. Simple as aligning an offensive alignment up in a two-point stance, put a small board in front of his, his, his uh, grounded foot and tell him to step over the board and get grounded 
in the ground, his whole foot in the ground, and then striking on that one first step, and then finishing off. Just the emphasis is on being grounded when you strike. So that would be the second one. And the third one, I think, would be related to pass protection, Keith, where, uh, you know, there's, there's, a, there's, a, uh, there's an old drill called mere dodge. The, the great Dan Radakovich uh, put emphasis on this in his career, and we learned it from Dan. And we've used it with, with pulls. We put pulls, uh, uh, wooden pulls on the back of our shoulders and mm-hmm. wrap our arms back and behind there, and, and we just get the, the defender or the, the, the demonstrator to move in between, say, a set of cones, and, and he tries to dodge, and we try to mirror his rush. And you're utilizing footwork and protection, and you're utilizing, you know, avoiding leaning. We put the pull on the back of the, the shoulders there to prevent leaning in, in, in foot movement type stuff. So I would think those three things. Coach, we've had guys on who've made that transition from 11-man football to 12-man football before. Uh, Jonathan Heimbach was one of them. Uh, He's back now coaching uh, in the XFL. But uh, you coached for a long time in the United States in college football, and then you made the jump to uh, the Canadian Football League. For you, what was the biggest transition in making that jump and, and being able to coach offensive line? Well, you know who helped me the most with that? Um, this is like 22, 23 years ago. But I, I knew I was going to go to the CFL. I, I knew I, you know, we had accepted the job. And uh, we put a phone call into Rod Rust, the late, great Rod Rust. Uh, this is like in 1997. And he had coached in the CFL. And at the time, he was with the Atlanta Falcons. And I called Coach up one day, and I said, I told him I was going up there, and I asked him what the what the issues were. and and he shared with me this, and, and I think it holds true. You know, it's the same game as the, as, uh, the, the American game. Uh, it's just a different set of problems. And where it relates to the offensive line most would be what I've, I've come to describe what I call the yard of grace. The yard of grace is the distance between the football and where the defender is. And it's different from down south. The forward tip of the football to where their down hands are, the down linemen are, that's 36 inches. They can't really get really close to the ball because of the rules. So I, w- I would think that's probably the biggest thing that you've got to adjust to. It's the same game as far as, as blow delivery and striking and hitting. And, but, I, but I think the yard of grace, it, it's good and bad. Um, it, it, it's good in a way it affords you, Keith, I, it affords you some momentum and velocity that uh, that's where you can get a running start. Uh, you have a little bit more two-step contact um, up up here in the, in Canada than you do down south when you're blocking a down lineman in front of you. Um, but at the same time, we've learned that experienced defenders, they know how to negotiate that yard of grace. They, they can see you coming, whereas down south, that's not so much the case. So um, we have had one of the adjustments we've had is we've had to make it is the, what we call a pin step. We're going to normally if a defender's lined up on our outside shoulder and we're going to go run block on him, normally you'd step, you would step near foot, near shoulder and go block him. But because that yard is, is, uh, is with some distance here, we at times will take a step with our inside foot first, vertical decrease the space and the time in between us and him so he can't cross cross face you as easily when they see you coming 
And then I would think the other thing would be um, on short yards and goal line. Um, it makes the the quarterback sneak more appealing up here. It's it's you know you have you have distance and 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 they're not as tight to the ball, so it makes that play a little better. And then finally, I think this uh, from a from a you know a strategy point of view, we have a loss of down up here also. We don't have four downs, so with a lot of down, the productivity on first down is a real high priority, Keith, on in the running game, and, which makes you say this: you want you want plus four runs on first down. You want to put defenses in second and right. six or less, because we found that when when it's second and seven, kind of like third and seven down south the defense has great advantages. And it, you don't have that extra down to play with. And that would be the other thing that's, that's caused some transition with, you know, or you're thinking in game planning, you're thinking in strategy. Yeah, definitely. Interesting. Well, Coach, you definitely have a uh, story career here. And a couple things looking back, for those of you out there who know Coach and have seen Coach, he does not look like, your uh, traditional offensive line coach because he played running back in college. So you're, you know, now coaching offensive line at a high level. Did you have any struggles or how did you benefit, I guess, from having been a running back and then going to coaching the offensive line? I say this, Keith, I think this, I, I think no matter what, what position you coach in football, it's very important that you, you become knowledgeable and, and, and skilled in the game because our job is to uh, give our players information and give them answers to the test on game day. And uh, me being a running back and then having to coach the offensive line, I, I think no matter if I would have had to coach the DBs or coach the linebackers, I think I would I would approach it the same way. And I, I, I think it goes back to how you learn and, and, what do you what do you do to research football and what we've done and I can just share this with you that we've learned the game and specifically the offensive line end of it we've learned it I would say probably three ways over the years we we've learned we've had mentors who have I would say this Keith totally challenged and stimulated how we do it mentors guys who have been a part of our our in, in learning the game. Howard Mudd and, and Alex Gibbs and Jim McNally, those guys have been instrumental in, mm-hmm. in giving us thoughts on how to do it. But I think most importantly, when you're learning from mentors like we have, and me being a running back in college and having to go coach Lyman, I, I think it's important that whatever you get from a mentor, you gotta you got to put it in your own words. Um, you, you know, you, you've, you've got to do it your way, but you gotta, you got to really dig into it and put it the way you want it from the information they give you. So that would be that would be one suggestion in terms of wh- how we've kind of grown into this business. The second one we've, we've learned from our own players, and this takes time over the course of years, but let me share this with you. You cannot put a, put a price tag on, on the insights of, of the players that, that they give you. Yes, you give them instruction, but they're the ones going out and doing it. And lots of times when they come off the field and you get their input and you, and, or you get into the film room with them and you're talking about how it happened out there, some of the things they tell you are awesome. And, 
and we have learned that way. And finally, <laughs> we've learned the hard way. Okay, we've certainly gotten our our tails kicked, our fannies kicked pretty good sometimes, and that has a way of growing you in in in, uh, in the offensive line world. And and like I say, yeah, we played running back, but at the same time, your job as a coach is no matter what you coach, you better know you better know your business, and you better know. You better you better know why you're telling guys certain stuff, and I certainly think that the mentors would would learn from uh, the players, and then getting butt kicked. Uh, I think th- those are the biggest things in in our transition to uh, to becoming a football coach. Yeah, and I'd like to encourage, uh, especially our young coaches out there, that mentor side of coaching. I think uh, I've been worried a little bit that that's disappearing in some ways that guys move maybe too quickly from job to job sometimes or rely on what they feel is all this online knowledge and resources. And I think all those things are good, but there's something to be said of being able to lean on and learn from a guy who's been there before. No, no, no question. And um, you know, how, how we got started was we became graduate assistants at Kent state Coach Don James, I played for there and and uh, became a graduate assistant for him there. He put me with the offensive line, and um, and my mentor there was Dick Sesniak. Dick took me under his wing and challenged me, and and uh, I began learning from him. And I was a GA, a young GA at the time, and I worked with the tight ends, worked with the offensive line, and 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 I think as a young coach, one of the best things to do is 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 get with somebody that's had the experiences, had success, uh, that's, a, that's a real key point. Starting with somebody that, that, that knows, that knows the game and can sh- begin to share with you. And, and then it's like everything else. You, you, you grow and you, you, it, the more you meet guys and the more you, you, you dig in, uh, you know, it, the better you, you become. And, you get, and finally, you, after being around it enough, you can develop your own system and your own beliefs for what you believe. But Getting started with somebody like like Coach Sesniak was and Coach James, boy, what a what how fortunate, how blessed I was to those two men right there helped me. Yeah, some great names in your past, Coach, and one of those was a teammate of yours, Nick Saban. And one of Coach Kennedy's last questions was if if you could share a teammate story of being a teammate with Nick. Nick uh, Nick was a great captain. Uh, he was uh, an outstanding teammate. Uh, Keith, a fierce competitor, extremely focused, extremely focused. He was a very serious guy, but humble, humble. His intent every day was, I would say this, Keith, his intent every day was to be the best. His focus, as I said, was great. He was a tough guy, a tough player. He could hit you. Um, and and um, I'd say this. Um, there's no secret why he's become a legendary coach. That's just the way he, that's his nature. Uh, his nature was, was in that order. And, uh, he was a heck of a football player, heck of a football player. Uh, he made some great plays for us at Kent. He was a, a DB and strong safety. And I, I can remember a couple of plays he made. Uh, we were on the goal line and uh, we were up, I think 13, seven against Buffalo and, they had the ball on our three-yard line. It was fourth and goal. And all that stood between the, the, the back and the flat and the goal line was Nick. And Keith, yeah, he got up under his pads, stood him straight up. 
he's driving his legs and, and brought him down, but the echo, the echo of, of his pads cracking, that you know, uh, you could hear, he, you know, it, it just filled the stadium. He, he just stopped the guy dead in his tracks, and for a no game, that saved the game, and that was a, and that game right there was a momentum changer. And, and then there was another another time, and I think this really would put Kent State on the map at that time. It, you got to know that Kent State for many years was not a good football program, struggled. And at the time, Nick was playing and we were playing, Coach James was trying to get over the hump and get the program, you know, highly thought thought of. And at the time, we weren't. But we were playing Bowling Green. And Bowling Green was in the upper echelon of the Mid-American Conference. And one of the things we needed to do was play well against Bowling Green, but to beat Bowling Green, which hadn't been done for a long time at, at Kent. Well, Nick had a big part in, in beating that, that Bowling Green team on, on this uh, this Saturday afternoon. He made a play in the fourth quarter that, that, that I think, I really believe it put Kent on the map. It, we were up, I would say, I think it was 14-10, and they ran a, like a wing-back counter, Keith, that broke free. And, and the same thing, the only defender between the, the ball carrier and the end zone, who do you think it was? It was Nick. And and the, the the guy put a move on Nick. He wasn't fooled though. He wasn't fooled at all. You know, and and he hit him with such an impact that he forced a fumble, recovered it on his own to to everyone's amazement. And I I think it's probably going to go down as one of the greatest defensive plays in Kent State history. It turned the program around, and we won the game. And it was it, I think it was a defining moment for. Kent State football at that time and got us into a bowl game for the for the I think second time in the history of the of the league. So yeah, I mean, I mean yeah, I mean it's just uh, you know here's the amazing thing about Nick. The amazing thing about him is he for his life's work all he wanted to do was be a, a car dealer, a car dealer, and um, yeah. And Coach James saw something in him and convinced him to be a be a graduate student and get in coaching, and that's how it all got started. He was on his way. He'd gotten married uh, in college before he graduated, and they were all set to move back home, and he was going to get into that, and, and the rest is history. Uh, it just shows you the quality of guy that you know, he's become as being a coach and all the things he's done in our profession. Well, the, definitely the competitiveness that you shared just in those stories comes through. I mean, it could visualize exactly what that looked like and hear those sounds of those pads as you described it. So it's good to to hear a story of where all of that started for Coach Saban. Coach, our, our next set of questions is from Brian White. He's the offensive line coach at FCS Hampton. And uh, as I said before, all these guys are really appreciative to be able to uh, ask you these questions. And Coach started by saying that you're a legend. So he wanted you to know that, of course. And he said he, he knows you're a big double under guy. He wanted to hear about the importance of that striking system, especially opposed to a flat back fit on a drive block. I I, I would think this. I, I think this. Whether you double under, there's places for that. Uh, there is places for that. Or whether you double-fisted uppercut, flat back, however you want to call it, whether you do either. They're both good. They're both, there's reasons to do both. I, I think you, you you still must have two things. You've got to have proper leverage, and you've got to have proper body alignment, and 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 that's what blocking is all about. And 
proper leverage is hitting someone low enough to create a, a lifting sensation, but yet Keith close enough to segment the defender's upper body strength from power and hips and legs. That's leverage. And you've got to obtain that leverage in either blow delivery. And then whether you double under or you double fist uppercut with uh, with a flat back, you, you've got to have good body alignment. And 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 I, th- I think there's five body parts that have the most effect on every block. And, and the first body part is uh, your head. Your, I think your head provides direction. You know, where your head head goes, your eyes tell you where your head goes, but where your head goes, your body follows. Second body part are whether it's your hands or even shoulder blow deliveries. They've got to be in line. The third body part is your back, and your back is a ramrod, is what your back does. Your, your shoulders or your hands or your arms or your, or your blocking surface your head provides direction. Your back is a ramrod. Your hips and your legs, they're your power sources. And finally, your feet. Your feet provide movement. But the poor body alignment is this, Keith. All those five body parts, whether you double under or whether you three-prong double fist uppercut with a flat back, all those body parts better be on a, a line of force through the cylinder of the defender. And and the feet have got to be underneath. You've got to be grounded, but they've got to be in the same body alignment, and utilizing the leverage I described earlier. When you've got the leverage and you've got body alignment, all body parts in line through a through the cylinder of the defender. Now you can marshal your strength through that cylinder, and, and you're going to have enough mustard to to uh, knock anything back. Keith, bottom line, bottom line, you've got to create force in every block. And and force is created through these body parts. But, uh, you know, I I was doing a clinic a few years ago, and I said, you know, you need force in every block. So I, for fun, I looked up the definition of what force is in in the Webster's Dictionary. And here's an interesting definition from Webster. It's it's driving and propelling against resistance. Well, what's the resistance, Keith? The resistance is the ground, okay? Not so much the defender, the ground. So what do you drive and propel against? Your feet do that. And that's why I said earlier, if you want movement, okay, your feet provide the movement. And they've got to drive and they've got to propel against the resistance, which is the ground, and you're going to get something going. So uh, long story short, um, you know, if you, I don't think it matters if you're a double under. And we use both, by the way. There's times where we double under. There's times when we're gonna we're gonna be flat backed and go with it. What what dictates you know which technique you're gonna use? I think when you're a little slower off the ball because d- defenses are stunning and moving, the double under is a is is a good way to go. We we get into some wide zone systems where we're really running off the ball, and our two man combinations could pretty much handle stunts and movements. And and you know we 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 would be more flat back oriented. But if we're getting a lot of stunning and we don't want to be running off the ball and getting into the yard of grace real fast, and we want to just kind of slow it down, then your double under I think uh, has an effect. Coach, our next questions come from Matt Jones. A lot of uh, our listeners know him from his popular 
uh, social media presence with Lineman Lunch. He's the offensive line coach at FCS Tennessee Martin. And he was interested in learning what your off-season development plan looks like. Okay. Over the years, we, we have put emphasis in, I would say this. Now, first area, the first thing we do in an off-season program, and we try to do it every day, is we develop gri- grip strength. Grip strength. There's multiple, multiple grip drills that you can do to strengthening grips. I know in today's world you got weight coaches to do that. Um, I don't rely on the weight coach. I I, I personally uh, work on that in the off season with my guys. Okay, a lot of ways to do it: uh, squeezing newspaper, to, uh, you know, newspapers, squeezing balls, dipping hands in sand in a bucket of sand. Many ways, but I think that's the first area. The second thing I would do, I would say, in the off season, it's a great time to develop. Finish techniques, finish emphasis, how to finish blocks in one-on-one blocking or in protections. Just the little techniques of finishing um, is a great time to do that where it's a slow-down emphasis. Teach, you can teach. Spend time on the little things in finish blocks where sometimes when you get in the heat of the season, you haven't got that time. Um, And put great emphasis on it. The third area would be uh, blow delivery, but I think more importantly, utilizing a full Crowther progression teaching, going through all the phases of the progression where you've got time in the off-season to do that with. That would be one. Um, uh, another area would be, and, and maybe strength coaches do this, but I, I've always done this as a, as a line coach with my guys, plyos, and I learned this many years ago. You, you make a, a, a plyo that's 36, 36 inches off the ground, Okay, and you get your guys to 180 sets. Do one, say, a set of 10 and do a 180. 180 up and a 180 down. A 180 up and a 180 down. Try that one time. That is tough work. And what they do is you're developing your core. You're developing your your hips and your legs in that. And I think that is a great uh, idea, a great plan for your offseason offensive line work. And getting the pass protection. You remember um, the, the, the Tunch Punch and the Tunch Oaken thoughts right there. Well, we, we have taken a lot of his stuff, and we, we, have a, we have a wall, and we wall punch and go through a lot of the Tunch stuff, and we do it also with movements. I think that's, a, that's always been central in our, our off-season plans. Another one would be what we call big man syndrome. They say big men can't move in space. Well, we work on that hard, and, and a small little drill I like to do is get have my guys run right at me as hard as they can, as fast as they can with their feet wide, and I, and I move left or I move right, and I want them to adjust off of me and go hit something real quick. But it's moving in space fast with balance, with body control. I think that's a, 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 a good idea. And then in pass protection, I, you know, I, I think – one reason why guys lose one-on-one in one, – one reason why guys fail, I should say, in protection, uh, if you study the tape, and, and we make place great emphasis on this, is guys fail in protection because they lean or they catch. They lean or they catch. So in the off season, I like to take wooden poles. I talked about this a little bit earlier, but take wooden poles across their shoulder okay, and put their arms wrapped around them and get them moving 
uh, in their in in movement skills inside, outside, off the line of scrimmage to prevent the leaning. Um, or or you can take a 45 pound plate and do the same thing. Um, do that um, um, to prevent the leaning. Uh, and then and then uh, I think the other thing you should do in the off season is uh, I think this is central in pass protection, and that is teach focus, teach eye focus. Your eyes in pass protection, Keith, need to be big and intense. You need big grasshopper eyes when you're pass protecting. And in every protection, there should be a target with for eyes in every protection. The eyes should take you somewhere in a protection, whether it's a slide protection, whether it's a one-on-one block. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think you need to train eyes. You need to train eye focus. Um, so that would be another area. Uh, and then there's two more areas in protection. One would be developing anchor ability, ability to anchor, uh, and finally uh, setting, pass setting, whatever your philosophy is in setting. Uh, you can't do enough of that in the off-season stuff. So um, in answer to your off-season programs, those are the things that I that I really spend time on. And I think it's important in an off-season program that, as I said before, you need to cycle the stuff in the off-season. Uh, we don't try to repeat the same drill to accomplish the same function uh, two days in a row. Uh, keep things fresh for them uh, with, uh, with, with, with the off-season program, but still try to attack those areas. That would be probably, long and short, our thoughts there. Coach, I've heard you say it a couple times now about cycling drills and you know not repeating drills. I I would assume then you're not a, a big believer in the quote unquote every every day drill where you're doing the exact same drills you know 365 days a year. Yeah, yeah, we're, you know you're 100 percent right, Keith. We we are we, we don't we don't repeat the same thing. That every day is a new day. Every day is a new uh, emphasis. And I think the other thing in drills that that, that I, we picked up from Alex Gibbs years ago is uh, we, we may do a five-minute, six-minute emphasis on, a say, a technique in a running game uh, or a combination, whatever, whatever it is in a running game, and we quickly get out of that and get right into a protection, okay, for uh, however it takes, and it could be any element in protection. Say it's focus and on eye focus, and then we get right back to the run and right back to the pass. Because as Alex said years ago, that's that's how you play the game. You're not over and over and over playing yeah, game. Yeah. And, and it 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 their attention is awesome. They, they, it, it it makes them more intense about what they're doing uh, because you're always changing up on them, and they've got to change their focus. And, they, and their intensity really is in it, really in it, as we've found, as opposed to you know going a 35 minute block on just some kind of a run progression that can be boring as well as challenging for them. I love it coach in 27 years and I coached a offensive line in a lot of those. I never thought of that that way, it, but you know, you're, you're 100% correct. That's how the game is played. We, we don't say, okay, this series is just run. I mean, sometimes we do, but you know, for the most part, we're, we're right. leaving that element of being able to mix things up. And I, I think, Phenomenal idea, not just for offensive linemen, probably for every position in, in looking at, you know, kind of mimicking the game. Mm-hmm. Sure, absolutely. Coach Steve Siasi is the offensive line coach at Bryant uh, University, another FCS school. 
And his first question is about pass pro. He said, vertical set versus lateral or quick lateral set. Which do you prefer and why? Well, let's just say this. Keith, uh, pass protection, it is not a passive activity. You can't be afraid to be aggressive. So with our inside guys, centers and guards, we, we have a general rule of thumb. We set short or we set shorter. And there's a reason for that. Because your, your biggest enemies that we learned, we learned years ago from Coach Mudd, your biggest enemies in protection are time and space. They're your biggest enemies. And, and, uh, and our job is, is to get on them fast. And we want to make the first meaningful touch. So as a result, when we set short, we're setting right on the line of scrimmage parallel. And when we set shorter, we go jump them. We, we go get up into the line of scrimmage, uh, meet them halfway, keeping the head out of there. Uh, because, you know, with the enemies being time and the enemies being space, time is what? Time is when the ball snapped, the, the, the seconds start clicking. Uh, and as the longer they click, the, 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 the more the defense becomes to, it gets the advantage. And that distance, that space distance, that distance between you and him, the more space is, the better it is for the defense. So your job as an offensive blocker in our minds is to, number one, disrupt the defender's space and disrupt, disrupt the uh, defender's timing. And we do that by setting short, setting shorter with close quarter blocking internally. Now, when it comes to tackles, it's a little different animal out there with uh, wide rushers. And to set shorter, set shorter, that doesn't make sense. You've got to, uh, you've got a different challenge on your hands because your defender is a little wider. Mm -hmm. So that causes us now to, you still have the same enemies. Uh, you got a bigger time, you got a bigger uh, space en enemy here, much bigger space enemy. You've still got space enemy, but he's a bigger enemy. And you got a bigger time enemy because they're further away from you. So as a result, the 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 setting short and setting shorter just doesn't equate. So we we do set off the ball here, whether we set to a spot for width, and that spot is mandated by his by his his width, his angle, and his speed, or whether you set vertical, straight back as tackles. We do both. Okay. And then with the inside guys, there are times, Keith, to vertically set, to, or not vertically set, but to set off the ball. There are times for that, okay? And times for that would be you may get, like a guard might get a four-eye technique uh, where he needs to set off the ball to, to deal with this guy. Mm -hmm. Not that you can't set short or shorter on a four-eye. You can, but you can't live in that world, okay? So there's reasons to set off the ball. Uh, internally, but most of the time we're going to go after them, and uh, and that's and conversely with tackles, yeah. There's times to go run jump those guys out there. There's times to set shorter up for those guys, but if you're living in a world of second on third and long down south or second and long here, you're not doing that. You, it just, you just can't do that on that down distance. You know you got to pick your times when you can do that as a tackle. So so long and short. Uh, that's our pretty much our thoughts in. Uh, uh, and pass protection from that standpoint. Coach Siasi also 
wanted to know about evaluation. He said, what are the characteristics you're looking for in college offensive linemen, both the measurables and the non-measurables? Okay. One of the very first things that Keith and I do is I find out the guy's injury history. Okay, because if they're hurt in college, they're going to be hurt in the pros. Okay? So that's the first thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I want to find out, uh, has he been in any kind of trouble? Is he ready to act like an adult yet? Uh, you know, his character. Uh, do we need to keep an eye on the guy? You know, uh, I'm trying to find, figure out what kind of na- makeup he is. Uh, can he handle tough coaching? Uh, how does he respond to pressure? You know, uh, does he love football? You know, how important is it to him? Uh, uh, can he can he handle um, coming to football as a job every day for us? Those are are are, are non measurables, so to speak. That I think Keith go a long way into detailing a guy's um, ability to to be a performer. Okay, so um, in that area, and then you get into some some uh, other areas, say length. We, we like guys with long arms, uh, okay? I, I think great length is 35 inches. Uh, minimum would be 32 inches, Sure. 32. Uh, it's 30 and 31-inch guys, are they're real tough. One thing we'll, we'll find out about, about length is the, the, the longer the arms, the slower the feet. The shorter the arms, you better have great feet. You better have great feet, okay? But... Uh, we, we like guys, I tell you guys the kind of guys we like. We like guys who have been redshirted. Uh, we like those tall, skinny guys who are tough and smart. Uh, you know, they want to play so bad to die. You know what I'm saying, Keith? They, they just want to play. They, you know, and, and then and then I tell you what, if they've been redshirted in college, I kind of like to redshirt them with us. Okay? Yeah. Uh, and I, I'd be willing to wait for a guy to just develop his power and, and develop him, you know, Basically, we're trying to find guys who can who can run. They're athletic. They have good reco- recoverability skills and protection. Um, they may not have that bulk and that strength. Don't like fat guys. Um, um, and, you know, like guys who really don't know what their body's about yet. But you can teach, you can coach them how to play the game. And 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 in in general, I'd say t- tackles. Those guys, we like them to be athletic, like tall guys with length. I mentioned to you about the, the length of 35 inches. Um, athletically, we want them running. Inside guys, Keith, ah, I'd say we don't worry so much about the height weight stuff with them. Uh, they can be marginal. Their heights can be marginal, but they need that. They need that be leverage players. You know, they they need to be low waisted. Uh, they got to be able to have the leverage up mm-hmm. underneath their bodies. That they got it. Uh, one thing about inside guys, they must be football brilliant. They must be football brilliant. Uh, they got to be smart, really smart, uh, to play in our game. Um, and um, you know, so I said I don't like fat guys. We don't generally have those guys. Uh, don't like fat ankle guys either. If I see a guy with fat ankles, uh, he better show me a lot on tape. Okay, and um, so, you know, those are the characteristics we're looking for. I'd say hand size is big. Uh, 
size nine or more is a good hand. Uh, I, I measure shoe size. I like guys with size 15. I like guys that has big feet. 15 or more, that's good. Uh, one thing I've done over the years is I, I've, I've, I measure five-yard dash because that's how you play up front, five-yard. I don't go by 10 yards. I mean, I do, but I'm looking for five yards and what they are, and I can share with you if a guy's 1.0 or less, he can cook. If he's got that kind of tempo and speed off the ball for five yards, uh, and I just want them running, just like a sprint for five yards, that tells you a little bit about their explosion, their acceleration, and, and their feet. There's foot speed. So I, that, that, that's a big one for me personally. Not a lot of, not a lot of guys do that. Okay. And um, so those would be the ones I think I think are important. So, Coach, you did start that question with the, the non-measurables. Uh, is, it, is it safe to assume for you that is the starting point that you, you want to know what the person is first before you go into all the physical attributes? Yes, sir. Yes, sir, because that goes a long way to him ever being a performer. It goes a long way. What's in that heart? What's in that heart? Uh, football is a game of inches. And uh, the difference between winning and losing, week in and week out, is not much now. You can put your thumb and put your forefinger almost next to each other. Um, that's about the difference week in and week out. But I've always said this, six inches between your backbone and your breastplate, uh, your heart and soul, that heart and that soul uh, goes a long way to win. And great hearts and great souls make great offensive linemen. And those are the kind of guys you want. You want to find those guys that when they get in the trenches and times get tough, they dig in and they like to work. They like to work, okay? They got work ethics. That's what you want right there. So, Coach, my man Steve Siasi here, he, he must uh, subscribe to your mixing it up between run and pass, so he does that a little bit here. His next question is on the run, and he wanted to know how you teach the zone double-team combos versus the gap Double team combos. Okay. In the zone double team combos, I'll give you one for instance right now. Let's let's say that we're running a tight zone play and we got a front side three technique and uh an A gap mic, and that combination between a between a center guard on a on a linebacker, or it could be the tackle guard, the guards uncovered and the play side guard and tackle or double teaming the linebacker to the defensive end. The, in, the intent on a tight zone play for the, cover, the, the, the lead blocker, who would be the covered lineman, his intent is to run 100 miles an hour right through the aiming point. And for our tight zone plays, if it's an A-gap landmark, I mean, if it's an A-gap landmark for the back, our, our, and it's a rollback zone, mm-hmm. our, our landmark is the inside via the neck. If the if the inside zone play is the inside leg of the tackle, it's a little wider. Now our, in, our landmark for the for the guard is uh, the outside via the neck. Okay, for the for, and that I'm talking about the lead blocker. Okay, uh, okay for the un, for the uncovered lineman or the we call him a trail blocker. Okay, his intent is to win on the linebacker. And what we do with the, with this uh, uh, trail blocker, he's he's going to take one step with his play side foot at the helmet of the down lineman, and he's going to key, key the near knee uh, of the down lineman. And that foot's going to go on the ground, 
and he's going to stick his play side hand out and key that near knee. By the time his second step hits the ground, and that second step is his backside foot, and it's going to go straight. By the time his that step that foot hits the ground, he's got to know: is that is that covered defender coming in, or is he going out, or is he hanging? And if it's if it if it's hanging or widening, now he knows it's time to climb. And when he goes to block the linebacker, he'll stick his place, keep his hand stuck out there. And if it hangs, he'll feed him onto the onto the lead blocker. If it works away, he'll just bench press air. And when he goes to the linebacker, he's going to block the inside via the neck of the linebacker. If it's tight zone, if it's an inside zone play, he's going to block the outside via the neck. Okay, that's the intent there uh, of uh, of the, the tight zone play. If you took the cover defender and made the say an inside technique on the on the on the uh, the lead blocker. So now it's the guard on a on a one technique, or some people call it a two eye. Okay, he becomes okay, or a four eye technique on a mm-hmm. tackle. You know, with uh, with uh, the guard uncovered there, with a four eye technique on the tackle. So the lead blocker now in the tight zone play, his intent is to start a fight. His intent is to start a fight. The intent of the trail blocker is to consume and kill the down lineman. The, okay, and between the two, the intent is to pound the down man. We want to pound that down man with two bodies. We want to put 600 pounds on 300 pounds. Okay, the intent, uh, as I mentioned to you, the intent of the lead blocker here is to, is to start a fight, and he does that this way. He'll step with his play side foot, and we're going to step with the outside foot first. Okay, it's going to go vertical, and the second step is going to get down, and he's going to get grounded. And he, he wants his inside foot to go to the groin of that one technique. The blow delivery on that, it could be a fisted uppercut, or it could be a lazy forearm, forearm shoulder blow. Okay, the, 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 the trail blocker now, he's going to take an a, a, a open step to open his hips. And one thing I share with you, every time you take a step like this, you want to get your hips framed up to what you want to hit. So he opens steps to get his hips framed to what he wants to hit. His second step with his backside foot, he'll going to pop it in the ground fast. But the most important step is the third step. He wants that thing to be in and up, in and up, and his aiming point is not the defender. His aiming point is the backside armpit of the lead blocker. That's his aiming point. Because we want to put four hands on that down lineman, and we want four eyes on the linebacker. We're going to push and mirror, push and mirror, push and mirror. Two guys see the same thing. And neither one of them two are going to come off until the linebacker gets to their level. And once the linebacker gets to their level, one will deliver, the other one will overtake. One will feed, and the other other one will get fed. If you're overtaken or if you're getting fed, now, you're, now you've got to now pull the hand off and scrape paint with the other hand to get your hat all the way over in front. If you feed, you feed with elbow extension. And once you feed with elbow extension, you get your hat all the way over to the inside via the neck or the outside via the neck, depending on what kind of zone it is. So that would be a description of, a say, a, a, a tight zone uh, against an inside technique uh, defender and now in the in the wider zone or the outside zone defender, if you have the same 
inside technique defender, okay, the intent for the lead blocker in the wide zone play or in the uh, outside zone play, the, the aiming point for the running back on this is the butt of the tight end. And the running back is going to run off of the end. If the end is out, he'll be in. If the end is in, he'll be out. Regardless of what that back does, the intent for the lead blocker against an inside shade defender, okay, is to guarantee the landmark for the trail blocker and then go win on the linebacker second. That's his intent. The intent for the trail blocker is to win with his backside shoulder on the landmark. His intent is to take the landmark. Now, the landmark is the front side number of the down lineman or the front side shoulder of the down lineman. So the, the lead blocker now, he'll step with his outside foot vertical. His second step will get in the ground and he'll get grounded. And he will either use a fisted uppercut or a side arm bar depending on the width of the, of the uh, down lineman. And he will guarantee the landmark, Keith, regardless of the alignment of the linebacker. That linebacker can be out there in a the BF somewhere or wider. He's still going to guarantee the landmark. And here's why. We want no penetration. We want no penetration. We want that front side, inside shade defender on the line. Mm-hmm. We want to win with that. We want to, we want to take the landmark with the, with the trail blocker. Okay, now the the uh, trail blocker now, he's going to come off at 90 degrees with the first step. 90, 90, 90 with hat speed. Hat speed mean, means when you take that first step at 90 with that play side foot, that hat is getting outside that front side toe. He is going to bring that hat all the way in front of the toe. The second step is a 75, and he wants to take his helmet screws and drive them beyond the helmet screws of the down lineman. And now, once he gets to the landmark, he's going to work uh, vertical, north and south, with his back, and win with his backside shoulder through. The the lead blocker now he will deliver that pretty quick. Now, once he guarantees the landmark, he's off, and now he'll adjust his angle to block the play side uh, number of the linebacker with a what we call a catch hand reach technique on the linebacker. So that would be the wide zone play against the one technique. And then if you took the wide zone play against a three technique or an outside shade defender, and again, this would be the same thing for a tackle on the guard if the guard's uncovered. But the, the, the intent of the guard on the outside shade defender, they're working in combination. His intent is to run 100 miles an hour to the outside armpit of the down lineman. That's his intent, to win 100 mile, run 100 miles an hour. He wants to come off the rock, okay? The intent of the trail blocker is to win on the linebacker to win on the linebacker. So the, the, the lead blocker, we're stepping play side foot. We are uh, backside foot to crotch with the backside foot on the second step. The blow delivery is a, is a fisted uppercut with the, uh, with the backside fist, and we want the front side hand on the outside half right there, and our hat's going right for that armpit. We want to take that three technique and knock his butt straight back. And he full well knows that that uh, that trail blocker is coming with him. The, the the trail blocker now is going to step 90 again. 90. He wants half speed. 90. And his eyes go right to the near knee of that down lineman. He is running diagonally. 
diagonally. He wants to run with his face mask in front of the face mask of the down lineman. Face mask to face mask. 90 on the first step, 75 on the second step on a diagonal angle. On that first step, he's going to see if that near knee's coming at him. If that near knee's not coming at him, that second step, 75, is gone, and then he's going to take one more step. On that third step, if that three technique is hanging or if that three technique widens, he's going to force that three technique across the face of the covered lineman if he hangs. And he's doing that primarily, Keith, with Grail. He's not looking at that three technique anymore at that first step. His eyes are going on the linebacker because he don't want to get ear hold by that linebacker. So on that third step, he's going to force the read. And when I say the read, the hanging three technique, who might be two gap in that guard, across the guard's face. And now he's up on the linebacker to catch and reach the linebacker's play side number. Should should that um, uh, three technique work away, he'll still try to force the read, but he'll be doing it on air. And he's up on the linebacker. If the three technique spikes, he's going to see it right now. And now his job is now is to win on the linebacker. Or excuse me, is his job is to win with his backside shoulder on the spike. But you got to coach this into the guy. There could be a boomerang. That three technique, he could boomerang back outside. So if that three technique boomerangs back outside, he has got to keep fighting and scraping paint with his backside fist. We tell this to the lead blocker. If that thing, if, if that three technique spikes, you do not follow it inside. You got to run to the linebacker because of the nature of the play, uh, the, the, with the nature of where the running back's landmark is. So we don't slow that that defender down at all. He keeps trucking for the linebacker now. If we get any kind of spike in there, so essentially that's the zone combo double teams on the front side, whether it be tight zone or wide zone. Uh, or inside zone that we like to carry. Now, in your gap schemes, uh, they're a little different. They're a little different. And if we just took a, a, a say, a, a traditional frontside double team, let's just say for fun we're doubling um, the frontside guard and tackle on a three technique or a, or a frontside tackle and tight end on a five technique. Now, let's take the the uh, the uh, lead blocker first, the, the outside blocker, the the, um, the the play side guard who would be covered, uh, he would be the post blocker. But let's take for fun right now the, the lead blocker. Um, we would talk in terms of uh, a gap step with his inside foot, popping his outside foot. Uh, the most important thing we want out of the tackle here is you want your inside shoulder on his outside shoulder. Uh, Keith, the gap step is at an angle to frame up the target. The pop step, the pop step has got to get down. That's the second step. It's the most important step because that's, Keith, that's where the force is coming to accelerate the feet. The cleats, they've got to be in the ground on the pop at the second step. So we're going to hit pad under pad with the top of the shoulder under his pads. You want to hit up and square on your angle to the linebacker. We don't want to sacrifice pressure for position. You, and you got to coach this guy stay lower longer. And here's the key point. That tackle on that double team, he wants to horizontally collapse the defender inside. And he, could, he can form shoulder feeding the guard if there's access given to him. 
and then he blocks his, the backside linebacker with a hat across the front and get vertical on his backside number, almost as if you're going to U the backside linebacker out, making bubble over your top right there. Now, if, if the three spikes, if the down lineman spikes, now that tackle needs to negotiate himself on a tight track, setting his angle to the backside linebacker. And again, he'd block the backside linebacker with his hat across the front and get vertical on the backside number, you him out. Okay, now, here's what's real important also. If the guard, if the guard, the covered guard on the three technique, if he's got to clo- uh, close the window, what's the window? Well, the window's the inside A-gap right there. If there's a defender in that A-gap in there that he's got to close that window with, now that tackle's got to be taught to transition to two hands and, and wash, the, wash that down technique flat down inside. Now, with, with the guard, the covered player right here, the post blocker right here, uh, we always have him identify the front for the, the backside moving part. Okay, so what we do here in, in Canada is we take a pin step with the inside foot uh, because we have the yard of grace. If we were down south, we would take a gap step. That's just a parallel step. But we can, we can attack the line of scrimmage up here because of where the defender is. So, so we'll take a pin step with the inside foot, vertical, vertical, and then pop the second step. Pop the second step, and we tell we tell him this, Keith. This is a, I think an important point. Block the defender with your body, but block the gap with your eyes. You are face guarding the gap. Uh, you're always going to close the window, Keith. And the second step. This is important. The second step goes vertical, fast. And ask the guy this in a film session. How quick can you get it down going north and south? How fast? Get it down. You want pads under pads of the defender. And we like to think of a forearm shoulder in this blow delivery. We like that. Uh, maintain a high play side knee on that. Uh, and then when he, and when, if he strikes and he makes contact, when the contact's made by that forearm shoulder, we like him, Keith, right. advancing his stagger, almost as if he's kind of galloping here. Okay, and he's always got to be ready to accept the three technique being fed by the tackle. As I mentioned to you earlier, that tackle is going to try to horizontally collapse that three inside. So he's got to be ready for that and then go to two hands to really to tear the guy inside with him. And if, if, the, if there is a second-level defender running through the A-gap, the guard's got to, got to catapult off and get his head across. If the three technique expands outside, Keith, then or a line so wide that there's no contact uh, that made, then then you got to coach this guard to do this. He's got to pierce pierce through the a gap, abort the down lineman, and run a tight track back to that backside linebacker with his hat across the front on the linebacker and do the same thing. Use that backside linebacker out, make him bubble over you. If the three technique does spike, collect it, hat across the front, and then. The only other coaching point we give the guy, Keith, is this. Um, if there is an A-gap mug that walks up, you got a gap step. You can't pin step. Gap and pop, okay, and then uh, if, if, if there is a run-through, you got to get it right now. Now, this double team I'm explaining right here is a 50-50 double team. This is 50-50, where the guard takes half, the tackle's taking half. I think there are times, Keith, uh, especially in today's world of two gappers, that that, that that three technique on the front side, two gaps at guard, where you don't have a chance to get 50-50 on this. 
and and we would call that a 75-25 double team, where the, now the guard is going to take 75% of the down linemen. Uh, that would be a little different, uh, not so much different so much for the uh, for the tackle, but uh, I think you got to approach that a little differently when you do that. So those are those would be I would say the biggest difference between the gap scheme and then the zone scheme and how we like to coach that right there. Bringing up a lot of memories for me, we coached those things exactly the way you, uh, you talked about here. And I know, you know, we spent a lot of time at those cool clinics and learning from, you know, you and Jim and, you know, watching Alex Gibbs stuff. So definitely, I would say, as you talk through everything, the one thing that came through and I think is important in all of these types of blocks is is take care of level one first. All kinds of detail with the eyes, with the feet, with the hands. But the primary thing, you know, taking care of level one before you get to level two. And I can think, you know, I've seen a lot of, of teams and I'm sure part of it is having young linemen uh, who need to learn this, uh, who, who leave level one too quickly and then you don't have a good run play. Really get a play going yeah. by taking care of level one. And there's a reason why for that. You want no penetration. No penetration, especially in gap schemes. Uh, no penetration, no yep. penetration, no penetration. Bottom line, no penetration. And, and in your zone schemes, um, uh, over the years, statistically, uh, zone schemes, they, they prevent penetration, and you, you get average per carry pretty good with zone schemes because there's no penetration. Exactly. Well, as I said, Coach is uh, jumping around from run to pass here. He wanted to know about the hands. He asked you the last time about yeah. the feet. As far as the hands go, do you prefer the independent punch versus the double punch, and, and how do you teach which you prefer? There's reasons for both, really reasons for both. Um, and, and a lot of the reason for that is is I think schemes, schemes can dictate both, um, but also mm-hmm. the one-on-one block can dictate both. And what I mean by that is the defender is not necessarily always going to give you the ability to, to punch him with two hands and give you a nice chest to block. He's going to be on the angle at times. He'll he'll be a little, you know, you'll be a little disjointed with with your with where you are right now. And your your hands may hit with two hands, but their angles are different. You know, you may have one hand high and the other hand low. You may have uh, both hands high. You may have both hands low. Um, so the defender has a lot to do with where your hands get placed when you're when you're blocking and, and then there's times for independent punching when you just, when you just, you have to block a guy with one hand because there's no space for the other hand to get in right there. So we teach both mm-hmm. and, 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 right. and, and we like to teach a lot of this stuff on the wall in the off season, as I mentioned to you earlier on the wall. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, we, we, we put the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the bags up on the wall and, and that's what we're punching and we're teaching um, double punches Double punch high, double punch low, uh, four corners, uh, whole nine yards, independent combos. Um, so there's reasons for all that stuff. Because what what is it you like best of those? Is it being able to have those those um, you know small targets you're hitting? You know, I, I think this about punching. I think well, here's an important point about punching. You're, you, number one, you, you you've got to you've got to teach how to carry your hands. And we like to carry our hands away from our body. We like our arms away from our body, not tight to our body. Okay, arms away with a little bend in the elbows. It's almost as if if, if you turn on a, a, a boxing match and you watch two boxers box, 
That's how you want to carry your your your, your arms and your hands. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, so that your arms your hands are out ready to, to punch and stab people. Uh, as I mentioned to you before, um, two reasons why block, block, uh, protections fail: you either catch or you either lean or you catch. And certainly in in punching, uh, you're not catching; you're stabbing. And and when you when you stab, the heel of your hands hit. You want to rotate your elbow inside to to get your power to come from your lats. Okay. If the elbow if the if the elbows don't turn inward, now more of the power is coming from the tricep muscle, and the tricep muscle is a very small muscle, very small, not a lot of power. And you and when the elbows go out on a punch, a lot of power dissipates. Not that you can't punch somebody like that, you can, but you're not you're not gonna you're not gonna punch them with power. You're not gonna punch them with with penetration, and. And you get those elbows in there, and you get the heel of the hand in there, and you rotate that elbow inside. You'll do a little damn, a little. You'll do a little damn damage. And we always say this about punching: when you put your hands on somebody, you do it for one reason: to do damage, to do damage, to do damage. Okay, so um, you know, I, 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 I think you, you gotta, you gotta really coach. You gotta be physical with your hands, and you gotta coach that. That's coaching, and you gotta coach that to bring that out in players. The next question really involves a lot of coaching about how do you develop a center who's never played the position before in, in teaching the snap technique? Well, you know, in today's world, uh, you know, the, the shotgun snap is, uh, is, is, is strong and big, and that's about everybody's in a the shotgun these days. And uh, one thing we tell them, we, we say this, um, uh, adjust your grip on the ball so that you gain more of the more of the fat of the ball. Uh, you you, you want to grab the laces with your fingers, uh, but but you want to grab more of the ball, more of the fat part of the ball. Um, before he, when we get a young center, and we teach him the shotgun snap, we get him in his two point stance. But we 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 say this uh, from, from the get go: get a visual image of of the target, and to do that, just look around your waist. Okay, look around your waist, and and from the quarterback waist to his chest is, I would say, Keith, is what we call the strike zone. And that's what he wants to look at. Get a visual image of that, and then and then address the ball. Okay, and the snap is, it's, it's keeping the ball, I would say, as close to the ground as possible during its backward movement. Um, the, the follow-through should rise the ball. Uh, but I, I, uh, I, I think I think it's important that he understands he's he is he don't we, I tell him this don't be risky shove the ball to the quarterback it should be like a it should just float back there to him and release the ball um, when it hits your thigh and it, it's it's almost Keith like a medium fastball back there it floats but it's a medium fastball okay and that's about what we tell him. And, um, and, uh, and, and the other little thing I share with you is, is, and I think this is an important point for centers is we, we like our center to do this, address the ball and, and always move the ball forward about three inches and move it forward two, three inches. You can get four fine because especially down South, now you're, now you're increasing the distance between you and that defender. 
You get in the, we never want the ball up underneath our eyes or our forehead. We want that ball out in front of us on our snap so that it helps us in, in that distance between us and them right there for a center, especially when he's playing a no-shade defender. So um, that's about what we tell a young guy uh, when, when he begins doing that. And like everything else, it, it takes some skill and takes some work. And uh, generally they get it. And they get it, and, um, um, but I think don't be risky. Don't be risky uh, with it, and uh, keep that thing locked and bring it back straight. Our next question is a two-part one. It comes from Tony Testa, who coached running backs for me when I was at Baldwin Wallace, and he is now the head coach at West Virginia Wesleyan, a Division two school. He wanted to know what adjustments, if any, you made to the landmarks and teaching you used in your cool clinic presentation. And part two is what adjustments would you make for American ball? Well, none, none of the landmarks. None of the landmarks. Um, but, uh, but our footwork and tempo at the snap is, is a little different um, from what we talked about before. Uh, we're now... Um, Keith, we're now coming off the rock more, off the ball, running more off the ball. Uh, and, and, and our, you know, because we're able to deal with in two-man combinations, uh, stunts out of two-man combinations, um, we, we, want, we want people running off the ball. We, we, we get, we're a little bit more wide zone now, and uh, we're, we're not utilizing the double-under in two-man combinations. Uh, we're more of a three-prong double fits it up because we talked about it earlier. Um, our two-man combinations answer most of the problems we get. Um, but, uh, however, if as I mentioned to you earlier, if we would face, and we did last year uh, uh, against a couple of opponents, if we face movement fronts uh, that, that are really slippery, really frisky, Really frisky. Where they're going two gaps or one gap, and and and, and you know you get multiple people doing stuff. That's when we would consider entertaining a slowdown approach. We would be scooting our feet backwards, using double under techniques to slow things down that way. Um, uh, and, that, and that's why. Um, and the other answer to your question, honestly. Against American defenses, we would not make really any other adjustments. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't see that. Uh, it's not necessary from that standpoint. Alan Estep is the offensive line coach and offensive coordinator at Notre Dame College here in Cleveland, Ohio, a Division II school. He wanted to talk about the best play versus the new odd defense, which is essentially a bare front or four I zero four I. Okay. Um, I'd say this, uh, get in two tight ends, be two tight ends. Okay. And run a, a run a, you know, the wider zone, uh, you know, butt of the uh, tight end landmark for the running back concept play. Okay, and, and do this with against this front with two tight ends. Um, two plays. Okay, same same play for the back, just uh, just a adjustment in in the, the blocking systems up front. Number one, um, uh, the play side tight end. Okay, he would at the snap of the ball uh, proceed directly inside to block the first inside spot linebacker with his hat right through 
the outside armpit of the linebacker. Okay, the play side tackle, he would block the four eye technique on his own. Okay, um, the play side guard, would, he he's going to bucket pull uh, to kick out the end man line of scrimmage. This is kind of a flat parallel pull. Okay, and he would block inside out on this. Okay, the center and the backside guard would what we call a quick A. Uh, the center's intent is to is to um, uh, uh, win on the linebacker, but but guarantee the the landmark for the backside guard. The backside guard's intent is to win with his backside shoulder on the down lineman, and then the backside tackle. His intent is to seal the backside B gap four eye technique, and then the backside tight end would turn out on the first defender outside. That scheme right there, uh, we feel strong about. And then the second one would be um, for the uh, same running back, wide zone type play, uh, two tight ends, play side tight end. He would he would block the the outside uh, defender who is outside his alignment right there. It could be a defensive end off the line of scrimmage could be on the line of scrimmage. He's going to block the first man on or off the line of scrimmage that is outside of his alignment there. Okay. The play side tackle has got the same technique. Um, he is going to block that four-eye technique, just like we did on the previous play. That's his job. Now, the play side guard, he's going to square shoulder shuffle inside to block the nose guard, the zero technique. And now the center, the center is going to skip pull skip pull to block the first spot linebacker, okay? And now the backside combination is the guard tackle on a combination on the down lineman to the second linebacker, okay? And the backside tight end would still block his cover on the backside. Um, both schemes really have a lot of merit against his defense. It gives them, it gives them problems that we've had experience with. And, um, and, and for fun, you could... Uh, you don't even need to run them both ways. Just run them one yeah. way only, you know, and, and save your reps And uh, if they give you that front. And uh, uh, that's what I would say here today. Uh, those are, I would recommend to you, to Keith, on this. Yeah, some uh, good plans of attack there. Coach also wanted to know how you would arrange uh, your man or slide protection against that front, the 4i, 0-4i. Well, if it's six-man, let's take six-man protection, which most people do. Um, we we would say this. Um, we you know to the to the run the running back. We we would put we would assign the running back to the linebacker off the ball, who who would be on the second level. Okay, the offensive linemen are going to handle um, the the four known rushers and the will linebacker. Okay. So if they're playing this def- if they're playing this defense with four defensive linemen, the linemen are going to count for all four down linemen, and they're going to count for the will. If they're playing with uh, three down linemen, and you've got an extra linebacker in there, okay, we would still give the running back the inside of the three linebackers, and the offensive line would fan uh, both outside linebackers. And in doing so, uh, if there were blitzers. To the Lions' responsibility side, they would they would most dangerous man block that. They would most dangerous man block that. Uh, and to do this, 
this fang scheme that we do here, we, the, our, our, our center and guards would set off the ball, which we call Mary. They would Mary set off the ball, okay? And our tackles would vertical set straight back on this to fan this, okay? We would never set the center right on the line on this um, uh, to start with, to start with, okay? Unless we felt like the nose guard was a, was a very heavy guy that wasn't real quick um, or stout, uh, then we might consider setting them on the line. But we generally set our center off the ball with the guards, and we play this from from uh, from depth. Coach, our last question today comes from Rich Alaris, who does a great job up in Vermont, northeast. He's at St. Johnsbury Academy. And his question is, when running a gap scheme with the center blocking back on a three technique and a two-eye on the play side guard, how do you account for the backside inside linebacker run through uh, in that play side a gap? Okay, that would be you mean backside a gap? I'm sorry, yeah, backside, backside a gap. Okay, um, uh, first of all, the, our, our center technique back there, he, his job is to block a gap defender. So if that linebacker runs through, he's going to block him. Okay, and to and and then if no run linebacker runs through, now he now he's gonna he's gonna stab the backside two technique three technique right there uh, for the tackle on the backside. He'll collision that thing, um, you know, in, in working back that way. But in the event the linebacker runs through, that's his, and we square shoulder shuffle that center. Uh, we want him to eat that space up, eat that space up, eat that a gap space up fast, and we square shoulder shuffling back there. Or skip shuffling. We move the the play side foot first, and then the then the backside foot, so we can gain more distance faster back there. But should the linebacker run through, that's all his. And when he blocks that linebacker, he's going to block that linebacker with his hat across the front, and make that linebacker bubble over the top. Coach, I really appreciate you taking the time here. A ton of detail today. I know our listeners are going to really enjoy this, and uh, certainly welcome you back at any time to do this again. I also want to thank uh, all of our guys who sent in questions. And, you know, without you, we, we wouldn't have much to talk about here. But, Coach, uh, it was great to meet you here today. And, and like I said, uh, we could do this again anytime. Hey, it's, it's my pleasure. And uh, I'm, I'm honored and, uh, to uh, share, uh, share our thoughts. And uh, if, if we've helped some people, that's great. And, uh, and that's, what, uh, that's what I believe our, uh, our industry is all about is uh, – is uh, providing information and helping people, and um, I'm glad we were able to do it.